Welcome to another episode of Behind the Strategy, challenging your perspective, motivating your mind and simplifying your strategy. With today's inspiring guest sharing what's behind their own strategy, so you can boost your business and love your life that little bit more. Make sure you pop that subscribe button and share with someone who needs this today. So from down inside the lab, because we couldn't be bothered to let her out, your host, Kate Whitley. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, because sometimes you just need a bit of an oomph, don't you? And that brings me onto my lovely guest, talking about confidence, Rachel Golf. Rachel, 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 thank you so much for being here. Now, what I love about you is how you are always coming across in your posts and your style of speaking when you write. You come across as being very confident, and I know that you help other people with confidence. And originally, we started having topics of conversation. We met up, didn't we? And we were talking about books and writings and screenplay. And to me, that's getting ideas out of your head as a story and sharing them all in snippets, in bite-sized chunks that are pulled together to make sense. And what I love about what I see what you do as well is that you have this natural flow about you that follows on from things that you've said previously. You're not just throwing out random things out there on the interweb. And everything you say to me is really quite concise and you've either got a natural ability for it or you think very deeply about it and so thank you for being here first of all but I'm just wondering have you always been somebody that thinks a lot before you speak? Thanks Kate I think I probably am yeah and sometimes I've felt like I'm too brief like someone will ask me a question and it'll be a very short to the point answer yeah so that is my natural style to just be very short and also lately I've been doing TikTok so it's been training me even more to be brief and to the point now I'd probably struggle to say things in a longer way ah have you always been that is that something you've had to learn so I mean as a child you know in school did you have this like thing of just like taking what was being said and quickly summing it up in your brain I mean what were you like then how did that work I was actually pretty waffly <laughs> That's cool. It's like doing book reviews, that kind of thing. If you, well, even now, probably if you asked me to summarize a book, I'd be all over the shop, you know, because I'd tell you the bits that first came to mind and then be like, oh, yeah, and then there's that bit. And then, oh, I forget to tell you that crucial bit. I think it's topic dependent. I've got used to talking about what I'm doing really succinctly, but also I have my moments where I ramble off all over the place. But I used to be very like that at school, trying to get to the point because it's all there somewhere in your head. But what point are you? I think that's the thing. What point are you trying to make? This thing, if I know what point I'm trying to make, it's a lot more concise. But if it's just someone asks me a question and I'm not sure what point I want to make, I'm just answering the question, then it's a bit more. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because as a coach with voices, getting people to feel confident and comfortable in their voice. For me, I can ramble on. I mean, golly, I've done some fantastic lives and I've rambled on. (laughs) A lot of people say they make sense. Maybe they like that rambling style. Other people are like, hang on a minute, what was it you said? So I started to develop a style where I did a bit of rambling and then I would try and summarise. You know, we find our way. But But I'm wondering if that's a real big issue when people struggle with their voice to get the words out. It's because sometimes they're thinking on the spot, like we are now for our interview. We're thinking on the spot as to what to say next. We're trying to take into consideration what somebody has said. But when you're just doing a speech for yourself, you normally do have a point. 
don't you? So I'm wondering if that's part of the problem behind people struggling with their voice and their confidence because they're not quite sure how to say what they're saying. Or are they sometimes not even sure on what that point is? So like you said, if you do a book summary, you can summarise the book, but you can do that in lots of different ways. It's the same with our story, isn't it? Is it about perspective? I think it depends, yeah. I think it can be that you're not exactly sure what you're going to say. But more often I have people that they did know what they wanted to say before they pressed record. (laughs) And at that point it just goes because there's sort of the anxiety just goes and then they can't think, they can't remember anything. But I think in general you can get through that with pre-prep, you know, what am I going to talk about? You can That's something you can do beforehand, but then the real problem is the feelings that you get when you press record or the podcast goes live or whatever it is tends you know more of an issue because they can make notes and think about what they want to say beforehand but really it's like whoosh of adrenaline kind of thing and all the chemicals going crazy that really trips them up yes the podcast itself is behind the strategy and so we always need to have a strategy so you've touched on there that people know what they're talking about quite often we have a strategy for things that we want to say at different places if we're doing social media posts for example if we're launching something in our business if we're going to do a speech for a wedding a family and friends whatever that topic is quite often we have the strategy of we know what we want to say but what do you do when you know that you're giving us a talk? What do you do for your strategy so that you can stay on topic, keep it succinct, and then you know by the end of it you've covered what you need to do? Because the reason I'm asking this is because I always want to try and give all the information, and I know that that's actually quite a common thing. I want to try and give all the information, and I'm thinking, have I remembered this? Have I remembered this? And I could be overloading people and they miss the important point. So that's what I'm worried about. What's your strategy for that? If it was something I was doing, say it was like a talk or a workshop or something, I'd probably spider diagram everything. So it's all my muddled mind onto the paper. And then I'll get the highlighters out of, you know, maybe everything in purple that I think goes together and then another grouping in pink or whatever. And I sort of chunk things down. And I get to grips with it like that. So I'll end up with some like section headers and I might write the whole thing out long form and I'm never going to say it, but I'll write it out like it's a speech and I'll say it to myself and then I'll break it down again into bullet points. So I only end up with like a few bullet points that I know I need to cover and I've refreshed my memory about those topics by having written it all out and talked it all out. So those key words keep me on track and I might time it I might think I've got 10 minutes to do a relaxation exercise and I get feedback on it and like 10 minutes for the next thing and I'll have a bit that I think is less important than the other stuff so I know I although it's valuable it's less important so I know if time runs over I can just miss that bit out and it'll be fine that's kind of the strategy I take Yes, if it misses, you can actually add it in and do another pose, another live, another, you can add it into somewhere else, can't you? The thing is, what you're saying to me, it's actually really helpful for all sorts of life situations where we need to say something or we need to confront something, whether it's within our minds, whether it's with somebody else. I think quite often we struggle with our voice when we're trying to explain ourselves and we start off doing that when we're young. 
we start off trying to explain ourselves, put across our perspective and feel heard. I think that's really important. Now, I was quite often misunderstood a lot as a child because I didn't realise I had ADHD. So I often used to jumble my sentences because I was thinking three sentences ahead and also forgetting that people can't read my mind and they didn't know if I suddenly started talking about something off topic. They weren't following the thread in my mind. So I struggled a lot with being misunderstood. And so for me, it was a real big issue about feeling heard and being understood and learning how to try and pull things together to be succinct. And that's what gave me a really big love of language. Now, I know you love language too because of writing and it's about the different words that we use. And I think it also reflects as adults, we go through different situations where we need to confront a boss. We need to put across our opinion. We need to make our needs heard. So what you're giving is, although we're not going to sit down necessarily bullet point, but practicing in your mind what you want to say, is that something that, you know, you said that you were rambling all over. How did you get from there to where now you can think? Is it practicing in your mind first? What would you say about that, Rachel? Because I think the comparison with how we have our voice and express ourselves online, some people can step into a persona and be the show person, but actually not many people can. (laughs) I think there's two things really because one thing I've always done is well on and off is um, volunteering work that's helped me in different aspects like I wanted to run groups and I was scared of the idea of running groups I'd never run groups before so I went and volunteered teaching English as a foreign language at a basic level never done it before but did a term of that and then I also volunteered with carers doing relaxation workshops And that was probably one of the first times I got organized in my mind because I knew I had these ladies for an hour and I wanted them to come out relaxed. And I knew there was, I knew what I wanted them to take away. I wanted them to have techniques to take away they could use at home. So that's when I start to get a bit more structured. It was doing workshops with people, really. I didn't want to get there and think, I don't know what I'm going to say and just sort of like ramble at people for an hour. So that's what motivated me really to start thinking in these ways that have described the way of chunking it down. Yeah, it's about making that impact, isn't it? When you, all of a sudden, you suddenly realise you have these lovely, I mean, the carers with the meditation helping them relax. My gosh, is there ever a group of people that need some help and some understanding about just being able to switch off the brain? You know, that's such a hard job, whoever you're caring for. And I know that you are a really nice person, the sort of person you want to have in your world. I'm just saying this because we are often not sure and not clear about people, but you have something that comes across is that you're very genuine, you're very open, you care very deeply. You can tell that in your whole persona because you are just being you. And that's one of the other things I absolutely love about you. I I always get the sense that you're listening. I always get the sense that you're caring deeply about what we're talking about. And that, I'm sure, in that very first workshop, that came across. I'm wondering, the impact that you had, the two-way response, reaction from people, is quite empowering in ourselves, isn't it? Did you feel quite empowered? How about that first time? It was amazing, actually, because I went in thinking these people don't have, you know, they're time poor, so I'm going to give them little things that they can do just a few minutes. So, like, just start the workshop, a little technique, three to five minutes, And they were just sort of like, and they'd arrived with all all the heavy weight on them. And then just after five minutes, get you could see it in them and then getting them verbally to feedback how they were just so surprised. Yeah. In such a short amount of time, it could make 
such a big difference to them. And then having them come back each week and say, oh yeah, I was been doing that thing that you said and it's really helpful. And that's what I love about working with people rather than I don't really made it an online do-it-yourself course because I like that sort of feedback from people. You gave them permission to let go for a moment. And when they had experienced that feeling, they realised they needed to do it more and it was okay. It, it seems to when you're actually with people, you're talking about the voice and having the confidence. It's about sometimes we need somebody outside us to tell us it's okay, we can do this and to give us that guide. Because although we might deeply want to do something, we might really want to talk about a, a topic, all the other fears come into place. Now, I know for that workshop, you know, the fears, the baggage and the stress. But when you're actually talking to somebody and helping them prepare for something they need to talk about, they come with other fears, don't they? I mean, I know for me, the fear of rambling for a start, even though I know I do it. And it can be quite endearing sometimes (laughs) or not. I mean, for me, I've never worried about I don't have that fear that people are going to think I don't know what I'm talking about. I've never had that fear because I've always felt very confident. But people do, don't they? You worked with experts who are way great at what they do and they still feel that, why am I the person? Is, does that impact the voice? I mean, it impacts the vocal cords. We sometimes go like that, don't we? We have a, oh, the sound for people listening. But it actually impacts how the voice comes out of the throat, doesn't it? It does because it's connected to your nervous system. So how you're feeling definitely comes out in your voice because this is what I'm always telling people. People come to me and they think what they need is vocal techniques. They think they need to talk like somebody else, not like themselves. And what they actually need is to relax because those things they don't like about their voice, like perhaps it goes really squeaky or they can't get the words out or their mind goes blank, all those kind of things. That's the nerves, your nervous system. Because when you're in that fear state, you don't have access to the whole of your mind. You just hone in on whatever you think is the dangerous thing. So you can't remember your words and your voice just sort of contracts. It affects your whole system because people think of their voice like a separate thing. But if you're in a panicked, frightened state, we're all going to hear it. It comes through quite clearly. I often talk about the saber-toothed tiger and our body has natural reactions from thousands of years ago when we needed to constantly be aware of that saber-toothed tiger just in case it was going to come along and eat us all up. And our body reacts the same way. I mean, those emotions, the, the feelings, the thoughts, we're still the same people with the same society, a different environment. The saber-toothed tiger is completely different, but it's the same chemicals running around the body, isn't it? I loved what you said about it, honing in. It does. It's almost like you get tunnel vision and suddenly... We do that in other areas of our life, don't we? We get like a tunnel vision on a fear and it impacts everything. We can't see outside of it. Is that where you bring the relaxation into it and help people refocus? And I'm guessing it's it's reframing as well, is it? Yeah, it's the relaxation. A lot of it is the beliefs and the thoughts in their heads because a lot of the people that I work with, they don't like their voice they'll say oh I hate my voice and they'll think they'll say oh I don't like my accent people won't take my accent seriously or they'll be like I sound too harsh I don't sound assertive enough you know it's too this it's not enough that and it's all those beliefs in their head which at the end of the day all boil down to I'm not good enough and this is a dangerous situation for me to be in because I'm gonna get you know lots back at me 
of people going, who do you think you are being here saying that and lots of criticism. And this is what they're expecting. This is the danger. So it's also working on the beliefs they have about their voice. It's calming them down, but also helping them to gently figure out where those beliefs came from and to release those so they can feel more confident in how they sound. And that further helps them to relax and to release their natural voice. That makes a lot of sense, actually, Rachel, because when we're growing up, I mean, having studied psychology, I had to do a lot about how the child brain develops. And during the first 11 years, your brain is gathering all the information it needs to live in it, in an environment, in the societies. That's why you can learn different languages really quickly. But also, if you're living in an environment of fear or a war zone, you know, literally or within families, the sounds and the messages that you hear, they get embedded and your brain is telling you, right, just for an example, when mum comes in and her voice is in this tone, it means we have to watch out and perhaps, you know, make sure that we've had the bedrooms tidied or, or run around. You know, we could live in that type of environment of fear where we're constantly gauging what's going on. Or quite simply, we walk into a classroom and you know straight away from the tone of voice of the teacher... We don't know whether the teachers had a good or bad weekend. We don't know what's happened. But some mornings we come in and they are full of the joys of spring and sometimes they're not. And we can tell that voice and it helps prepare us, doesn't it? So that's quite a big thing, isn't it? The belief that somebody with a certain tone of voice means this. It's quite difficult to get over because when that's embedded in us, if we start to think that we're veering towards that fear ourselves, we're placing ourselves as being that person. That's quite a dangerous place to be if you're trying to conquer fear, isn't it? I don't say literally dangerous, but challenging is perhaps what I mean. Yeah, and it can also be really small things that have affected people. Like if you take it back and back, it can be at a crucial time when they were really excited, they had a painting they'd drawn and they wanted to show it to their parent or guardian because they were so excited and they were dismissed, ignored. Right. And then they thought, well, I'm not worth paying attention to. And then your brain is like a puzzle machine, isn't it? It always wants the answers. Why am I not worth paying attention to? And they've latched onto it. It must be my voice. There's something wrong with my voice. And it's like, as an adult, you would look at that situation and think, oh, well, the parent guardian is distracted because something's just happened with their finances or one of the other children's just got in trouble and they're looking after them. Or as a little child, you're the centre of the universe, aren't you? You're not thinking about other people's perspectives or what's going on them. Everything's about you. So if they ignored me, it must be my fault. It's about me. And many people have them little things that have been the root of a belief about something, about their voice. Like, you know, there's all the school incidents you know you may have stood up all excited to share your passion with the class and all the other kids have thrown bits of paper at you and shouted at you and and as an adult we know kids can be cruel you know it's devastating as a child well we don't forget but we sort of shelve those things away and we don't really think about it and don't connect it to how we feel but it's still in the back of your mind they're going oh don't do that thing because, you know, all those kids might laugh at you again, or that person might reject you, holding you back, trying to keep you safe by stopping you from using your voice, from getting out there. Yeah, and I suppose sometimes making a stepping out of that comfort zone 
is not always a good thing because if you're stepping out of it and you're trying to speak and your voice don't have the confidence, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You think to yourself, well, this won't work. And then all you do is go back and you just see all the coughing and the spluttering and hearing the voice and you think, there's proof. It's almost like we're trying to self-destruct and find that proof that we're voices shouldn't be listened to, we shouldn't be heard, isn't it? Yeah. And all those things are part of the anxiety. They're not part of your voice. Those things naturally fall away once you feel more confident. And there's also the thing of like, if someone says something about your voice, you take it to heart. If you've already got that tender spot, thinking there's something wrong with your voice, you then take it to heart. Because if we thought about it, we've probably all had somebody say something about our voice at some point, but we just forget about it because it doesn't mean anything to us. That's like, oh, whatever. But if you've got that tender spot, it really kind of like digs in each time somebody says something. And again, it's another piece of evidence so you know that there is something wrong. Have you been in a situation like that? Has that happened to you where you have been through a situation where you've said something, you've not been heard? Yeah, tell me. I mean, you know, we all have experienced that. What about you, Rachel? Is there an incident or a time when you suddenly thought, oh, hang on a minute, or you felt the same? Well, more of a like the feeling that there's something wrong with your voice is when I was young, my mum wanted me to go to elocution lessons. And I took that as, well, there must be something wrong with me because why she wants to fix something, so there must be something wrong with me. But I actually rejected it and I wouldn't do it. But at the time, it was a bit like, well, yeah, you know, there must be something wrong. But then as I grew older and I learned to see my mum as a person with all their foibles and that, I realised it wasn't about me at all. It was about her and how she felt about her voice. Ah. And as me, as an extension of her, she didn't want me to feel that way. Yeah. And she was kind of like projecting onto me, which is something I just sort of dawned on me through the years. But at the time, it, it did make me feel like, well, I must be lesser, you know, than other people because the rest of the kids in the class, nobody was saying you should go to elocution lessons. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that makes sense. But our parents projecting on us. My mum also was very much about what other people see outside of the home reflects on her as a parent. I mean, I think we all do to a certain extent in whatever we do. We moved around quite a lot. So when I went to different schools, she was always correcting my speech. Controversy, controversy. I mean, there was the correct way of saying words. Now, I didn't mind too much because I did actually love language. So it sort of linked into that. But I went to lots of different schools and a couple of the schools I went to, I was actually bullied because of my voice. And it was because they said I sounded posh. Now, obviously to me, I didn't know as a child what posh meant or what that meant. But it didn't just mean it. What posh meant to those people was that. If you're posh, you think you're better than other people. It's the connotations behind it. It's the implications that you must have money, which we didn't at all. And what my mum was doing obviously worked. We were projecting this false image of appearances, so to speak. But she also, like you, your mum wanted me to be able to fit into any part of society. And at that time, which was quite a long time ago, you needed to speak correctly. You know, accents did make a difference. So that was one thing. And then I also had a husband as well that told me I was too posh. And then when I went to live in London, my mum would say, oh my goodness, your speech is terrible. Because I'd suddenly, I'd slip into, right, yeah, come on in, let's all go down. I mean, living in South London and I'd forget and I sort of chameleonised myself. (laughs) So I totally understand that whole feeling of like, there's something wrong with me. 
And it's just hit me right now that actually, yes, it has. And we take on conditioning from the television as well, I think, more so. I know we have the internet, but when you hear advertisements, we're conditioned to hear a posh voice means this and a northern accent means this. That must embed within us as well, Rachel, doesn't it? And add to those beliefs that we have. It definitely does, because I had like a guy who with a South London accent that felt he should change his accent because he was doing like, you know, meditative and hypnotherapy kind of audios and he felt he shouldn't have that accent. And he'd gone on courses to like change his accent to sound like someone else. And I think he'd achieved it, but it felt wrong. It felt just as wrong. So I think people think, well, if I can just sound like someone else, like that person over there, I'll feel a lot better but then it just feels really fake, like you're being somebody else. It's like you're hiding. Yeah. You're still like hiding yourself. But I think it's starting to break down. We're starting to see more of the regional accents a bit on the television. And that's not so much that sort of old style BBC presenter kind of thing. I actually met another person who said she'd been rejected for things for her voice being too posh, too, too RP. So I think, you know, things are changing in the voice world. And I just like to encourage people to have their own voice. So I think it's part of the rich tapestry of life. And it's about where we're from as well. And a long time ago, I remember I saw a snippet of a documentary on accents and how they're affected by the landscape, how the different sounds come from the landscape where you... How interesting. Yeah. It's just, there's all that history and richness to it. That, and how boring would it be if we all sounded the same yeah 100% and we're actually getting closer now to what is behind the strategy of feeling confident enough to speak up and be ourselves and that is for me it sounds like what you're saying is that accepting who you are and all your own foibles and everything like that accepting ourselves is a huge part in behind the strategy so to speak having an acceptance in who we are Getting past that, I mean, that's quite huge, what we've just talked about, you know, having different accents, changing accents, and the connotations and beliefs behind all that. It's like we're adding to that fear and anxiety of trying to be the perfect thing, the perfect person, the perfect message. We don't think about the times when we hear people who are great orators, fantastic giving speeches, We don't see the hours they've practiced. We forget that they've been doing it for 20 years. We just almost eliminate that from our thoughts. And we suddenly think that we need to be like them straight away, don't we? So I'm guessing the first two things I think you're saying, and perhaps you can add to it, is first of all, have an acceptance in who you are and what you can do. And remember that you are where you are right now. Am I on the right track here? Yeah, and also doing a speech to 500 or 1,000 people is very different to doing, you know, like a TikTok or your social media or a podcast. You don't need to do this big sort of like projection. It actually reminds me once I went to a tour at a plantation in, I can't remember, somewhere on holiday. And there were just the two of us there for the tour because it was in their winter season. But she went full on like projecting as if there was like hundreds of people there. And we were always And it took her a few minutes to realise, oh, actually, there's just two people. I can just talk to them. It's fine. And that's partly what it is as well. These days with social media and what most people are doing, all you have to do is talk like you do in your normal life, like you do with your friends and your family. And that's what it is. And you're really only ever talking to one person at a time. And to not worry about, like you say, people want to be perfect, but don't worry about stumbling over your words, saying the wrong word or whatever. 
Because some of the best videos I've seen, people do that. And then the way they make light of it and carry on makes it a fantastic video because nobody expects you to be perfect. And it kind of puts people off because it puts you on a pedestal way over there. It's like you're nothing like me. (laughs) Yeah, good point. I suppose if we edit out everything, then it does come across like everything is perfect. You can make a video that's got some ums and ahs and things like that in it. And it's useful to know, to see when somebody is thinking, because you can see that they are thinking or hear that they're thinking about what they're saying. And it's not just all prepared. People say, oh, can I have a teleprompt? You know, I need to do this. I need to read it as a speech. Actually, the advice tends to be not that. So I think the third thing then for the strategy is to know your audience. Who are you speaking to? Are you just talking to your friends or family in the room? Are you doing a TikTok? Are you talking to 500 people? Those are different types. There is no one way. And we can't all go and practice with 500,000 people. (laughs) So I guess the practice is to start off small and just build the confidence there. And even teach people how to give those big talks to audiences. Even they would say, don't talk to the 5,000. Pick out a couple of people and talk to them because it bring it down to a smaller level. Yes, you've got to project and that because, you know, they need to be able to hear you. But never be thinking about 5,000 people because that's too much for the human brain. It's just way too much. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll tell you a piece of advice I don't recommend, folks, is don't imagine them all naked. Seriously, people say that. I personally can't do that. I struggle. I just literally it's too visual for me and I can't speak. So when they give that piece of advice, I always cringe and go, no. If you really did see them, you definitely would be speechless. (laughs) Are there any other tips we shouldn't do? That one for sure. (laughs) Tips you shouldn't do. That's a good one. I suppose I've never thought about it. Well, I'd say don't worry about vocal techniques. You know, add them on if you want to, but just be confident being your imperfect self first. Because that's going to take you at least 85% of the way. Then you're in a position where you can make changes if you want to, not from a should point of view. Yeah. Get that confidence first, because otherwise you really don't know what you're doing sort of thing. Because some of the things you're trying to change are just things that come up from nerves or from your beliefs. So it's kind of vocal techniques are kind of the icing on the cake kind of thing. But, you know, do your foundations first. Yeah, we can all eat cake without icing. So, you know, it doesn't mean the cake's going to taste any less and less nicer than, than with the icing, is it? So, you know, good analogy, actually. Let's bring cake into the conversation wherever we can, folks. <laughs> Rachel, this has just been fascinating because whatever we're doing, especially in businesses online, there's behind the scenes. You know, where does it come from? What we're doing and what we're teaching, it isn't all just about how to do this for the business, the point. We're always told... When you're trying to talk about and sell yourself and promote yourself, think about the one thing. And I think what we do is we forget that behind that, there is a heap of other things going on. Just being able to know how to speak on a live or for a speech, it actually, behind the strategy for me, it boils down to how we see ourselves, how we accept ourselves, how we feel and deal with talking to people in general. If we struggle with conflict, if we struggle to get words out in general, what is it? And I think you hit the nail on the head when you came down to beliefs and the values that we have about ourselves, whether we're worth listening to, whether what we do is of value. I think my experience is that we all have value to somebody. We just don't always know who that person is. And if we don't speak up, that person won't be able to hear us. 
because I say to people, oh, have you heard so-and-so? And they say, no. And I'm amazed because I think, well, everybody knows that person and they don't. And I think, oh, okay, crikey. And it reminds me, we don't all know each other. We don't know everybody. We don't see everybody. And we don't know who can see us. So I guess behind the strategy is step into it. If this is what you want to do, step into it. So Rachel, your final thoughts about what we've talked about today, it's not just about where people see us online. It's a strategy that we can have for life, isn't it? Being accepting who we are to speak up is going to impact all areas of our life. Definitely. And it's something I think we often look for externally, looking for people to validate us. And we think once they say, I'm okay, then I'll be okay. But it's not how it works. You have to be okay with yourself. And that changes your whole outlook on the world. Things that look scary aren't so scary anymore. I mean, new things will still always be a bit scary, but things aren't going to be so frightening that you'll come to a you know complete halt. And I think that's people look for external things to fix themselves and it's the internal reflection because even if you don't like you know go and get help from somebody just journaling on the thoughts that pop in the recurring thoughts that you have about yourself why do I think that where does that come from and not accepting everything that you think is a fact because a belief is not a fact yeah I like that not everything we do think is a fact that is for sure because we can relate different experiences. We could all go out for the day, experience an incident, and we'll all tell different versions of the story from our own perspective. That's really true. And we can argue all day long what we saw was correct because we want someone to externally validate that what we saw was correct, despite the fact there could be three or four other people also doing the same thing. So just using that as a situation where we've all been in and it's not so relevant, we don't always need to be right. That's really important. Looking outside us for validation on who we are. Challenge that in itself. You said, why do those thoughts come in? Ask ourselves, why do we need that? Where does that come from? And what does that mean? And I think I tend to follow that. Okay, I'm thinking that. Why? Okay, so what does that mean? And then I keep asking myself and sometimes I have to sit on it for a while Yeah, there'll be layers to it. You know, it's kind of like that question, and so what, and so what, and so what, kind of thing to get you down to the nub of what it really is. And remembering every time as well that you were saying your view of situations, every time you recall a situation, it's not like photographic memory. It changes each time. It depends how you feel as you're recalling it. So if you've got a story that you tell yourself, every time you think about that memory, it's going to subtly change to fit more and more, you know, with whatever your story is. It's not necessarily true events that you're even recalling because you'll have subtly been changing them along the way. Every time you've recalled them, depending on the context, how you're feeling about yourself, what you believe in, what you're thinking, you know, that we're telling ourselves, tell yourself a good story and you'll have a better experience. So maybe challenge your stories as well. What's a better way to look at this story? What's a way that's going to help me? if I tell myself this story in a slightly different way. That's such good advice because also the more we tell ourselves a story of a negative story, the more it comes embedded in our brain and it becomes bigger and bigger and it creates more fear and anxiety. So if we have a fear of, you said earlier, the kids throwing papers at you and, you know, that whole incident of talking, people aren't going to like it, we can recreate that in our mind. And so 
the brain doesn't know if it happened last week, yesterday, or if it's happening now. It's just sort of saying, okay, and the emotions come with it. So we're bringing back that feeling, aren't we? So by every time imagining the worst based on an experience, then I'm guessing we're just adding to that and making it feel worse. So step into something good memory or create a good memory. Yeah, because your imagination is so powerful. And at a certain level, your brain doesn't know the difference between a memory and something imagined. So you can start to colour that in any way you like that works for you. Or as you say, you could step into something completely new. You can focus on the future, on visualising, seeing yourself talking in those places and seeing it all going well. And you're giving your brain a blueprint of what you want to move towards. And you're practising having the good feelings while you talk. And then you're more likely when it happens, your brain to go, oh, in this situation, we have good feelings and it actually manifests. And I like to call that brainwashing (laughs) because it is. And I think we underestimate the power of our own brains and brainwashing starts with ourselves. We all brainwash ourselves to believe, to see. And when you're faced with reality, sometimes we're like, no, I've been brainwashed to think other. We can't deal with the truth quite often because it shatters those beliefs and values that we've built up and created ourselves. But the power of our brains to brainwash ourselves into whatever we want to do, you've just gave given some great examples, just placing yourself into a feeling, those good feelings. We can bring back, why do we actors, why are they able to make us feel so passionate about what they're saying? When somebody's giving a real you know, soliloquy, they're on the stage and they're, and you're drawn into it because they're creating it and their whole feeling, they're stepping into the emotion. Or when we see a really emotional part of a movie and the tears start, they haven't even said anything. You know it's coming. You just know it's coming and you're just thinking, oh no. And equally so, the end of a comedy, when you're just, everything pulls together or you're laughing, We can see it coming. The brain knows to get ready for crying, for fear, for laughter, doesn't it? I think we forget that. So what you've said about stepping into the positive feelings, even creating it, like you've said, is so, so powerful. And I think that is one of the real key strategies we should have in our own lives is being able to step into who we are, accept who we are and embrace the positiveness and the greats if you can't find something good go and find something i always tell people go and write a list of 100 things that you like about yourself and people say 100 things i think it's okay don't have to do it all at once you can start with five things and then as you go through the day because the brain is tuned into thinking about good things about yourself your brain will go oh i forgot that oh i'll add that it's hunting out and seeking and you'll be in a lift talking to a stranger go oh hang on a minute i forgot i'm good at that And because you've brainwashed the brain, you've told the brain, you've given it a challenge. You've pointed it in the right direction because I always think it's a bit like a pet. It's looking for direction and you can have an unruly, you know, dog that runs off and all it wants to know is where do you want me to go? What do you want from me? What do you want me to do? So you point it in the right direction, spend time visualizing what you actually want it's like that thing you know don't think of white elephants and then obviously you will you know I always have this thing I go on holiday and I see something a new product that I've never seen before and then I'll come home and it's everywhere because my brain is then primed to look for it you know I hadn't noticed before that it was there but direct your brain don't let it sort of go blah all over the place because it's looking for direction from you and it tends towards 
the negative because that's going to protect you from danger if it looks out for you know what's bad out there but if you purposely go no let's look for what's good like the way people journal on you know three good things from their day things they're grateful for and all those kind of things are so powerful like you say your brain starts adding looking for things to add to the list so it's just giving it a bit of direction towards the positive just keep steering it the way you want it to go yeah it goes back to what you said about when you're having that tunnel vision you're reducing it down to a point where you're missing the opportunities you're missing what's outside and actually that's not real life it might feel like you're in an anxiety state but that's not real life 100% of the time we don't have anxiety 100% of the time we might have a lower level might have a higher level but there are going to be times when their level is low enough for us to see what's outside us so having that tunnel vision we are missing opportunities and we can overlook just the simple things because they're so simple like about them but I always love to go outside for a walk nothing to me gives you better perspective than well going on holiday is great for perspective going to a completely different place yeah but if you can't do that going for a walk and then you come back from the walk and it's like well why was I so worried about that or you also remember about a few other better things it just changes your perspective and also just walking gets your brain moving but more effectively yeah so thank you Rachel for sharing what's behind the strategy for being able to step into your own voice really and have the confidence to speak up for your business whether it's on a live whether it's on a post that you're writing or whether it's just that you want to have your needs felt and heard within a relationship it doesn't matter whether you want to say something you know an instructor you could be on a course and you think hang on a minute they've said that I don't get it I don't want to look stupid I won't ask the question it boils down to just accepting who we are we don't know everything we can't know everything so therefore why try to act like we do or try to pretend that we do just step into that and just to feel confident within ourselves so Gosh, we have covered a lot of ground here, haven't we, Rachel? This has just been phenomenal. I really do feel this is one of our deeper conversations we've had in Behind the Strategy. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing your insight, your experience as well, because we all, nobody starts off just being able to suddenly know how to do something anyway. We still have to learn it, don't we? Definitely. It's been a really great chat. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Please go and find out more about Rachel. All the information is in the show notes. And I wish you all a great day. Speak soon. Thanks, everyone. You've just listened to a Strategy Success Lab production of Behind the Strategy with Kate Whitley, bringing you inspiring guests and motivating messages to challenge your perspective and simplify your strategy. Don't forget to subscribe and pop over to strategysuccesslab.com for more exciting episodes. And if you've loved this episode, go and share it with someone else who needs it today.